0: Good evening. <laughs> Let's see. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2. I know it says Revelation 1. We'll be there too. But um, if you want to go ahead and open up to Titus, we'll be there shortly. We know that uh, possessions of, of things, of people who um, are famous or, or powerful, no matter how common they might be, can become extremely valuable, even priceless. You know, some years back Napoleon's toothbrush was sold for $21,000. That's an old toothbrush. I don't think I could get a dime for mine. Hitler's car sold for a hundred and fifty thousand know, dollars. I have a very nice Honda Civic out in the lot. If anyone, it's got a few lights on the dash. If anyone wants to offer me $150,000 for it, you can drive it off the lot. But people, they have paid extraordinary amounts for Winston Churchill's desk and a, a pipe bone by C.S. Lewis, a sheet music handwritten by Beethoven, uh, a house once owned by Ernest Hemingway. It all were sold many times their, what we'd consider their intrinsic value. And one of the large auction houses, Jackie Kennedy's fake pearls sold for $211,000. JFK's wooden golf club, $772,000. And those things, they didn't demand that great of a price because of how um, worthy they themselves were. They went for those prices because they once belonged to someone who was important. And that's the same message that scripture has for those who belong to Christ. We have great value because we belong to the most important someone in the world. We belong to Jesus Christ. You know, in C.S. Lewis, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan, the the resurrected king, he enthrones the children of the story, right? Lucy, Peter, and Edmund, and Susan as kings and queens in Narnia. They become royalty, not because they deserved it more than any other creature in the story, but because they were sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. They became kings and queens because they were descendants of the first man and woman created by God. Now, how many of us would consider ourselves to be kings or queens? No one. <laughs> no one would. Okay. In the Bible, we're told just that. Jesus Christ washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father in Revelation 1.5. 1 Peter 2.9, it says, We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in fact, when we became Christians, Ephesians 2.6, it tells us, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know, as Christians, we are quite literally kings and queens. May not always feel that way, but that's who we are. You are seated right now beside royalty. People sitting next to you are kings and queens. That person in your row and behind you, in front of you, they are royalty. Now, what does that mean? It means that God values you above the rest of creation. You have been made in his image, you've been made in his likeness, but God has lifted you up and seated you in a position of prominence. You have become a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the fact that you people here are royalty, that should demand something from us. It means that every member of the body of Christ deserves to be treated with respect. It would be improper of me or anyone else to belittle any member of Christ's church. It would be improper for us to talk down to one another or look down upon uh, a fellow brother or sister in Christ because we're talking about royalty here. We're talking about someone special in the eyes of God. I once read of a a story, two women, they were um, uh, talking about each other and they they were trying to impress on the other just how religious they were. And finally, one woman left and uh, the other smugly turned to her husband and she said, you know, Miss Sills, she is a good Christian, but I just think I live a little bit closer to God. The husband, he thought for a moment and he replied, I don't think either of you are crowding him very much. (laughs) I know, (laughs) but it's a sad reality. You know, Christians, we don't treat our fellow believers with respect too often, but we should. We are royalty together, and as Paul said, and and i'm here to tell you brothers and sisters this ought not to be you are seated amongst royalty kings and queens of the kingdom of our savior and we need to treat each other with the respect that deserves we have to realize that god has given each of us a promise god has promised that he will bless you he will bless others who bless you but if anyone curses or belittles or puts down a believer god will make them miserable now this idea that we are royalty, we don't preach it very often. In fact, if you open up to the NIV, the New International Version of Revelation 1, you will not find it translated that we are made kings and priests. They altered the words a little. You know, look with me there in Revelation 1.6, you have the NIV. It says, he has made us to be a kingdom and priest. And if you go and you look at the Greek, that's not exactly what John wrote, granted they, they Roughly expressed what I think the Apostle John intended, but the King James translates it, kings and priests. And I got to wondering why some would shy away from calling us kings. What do you think would be the danger? What would make us uncomfortable with thinking of ourselves and thinking of other Christians as royal? What? Pride. Pride. What else? Absolutely. What else? What do royal people do in the worldly definition of that? Everything that's <laughs> wrong, yeah. <laughs> they, rule they rule over others. You could say they lord themselves over others, like the Pharisees. Mm hmm. If I walk into a room and, and tell them, listen, I am king here, they're, they're not going to listen to me very much. <laughs> they're going to send me somewhere. <laughs> Why else might we be uncomfortable with this idea of us as royalty? Kay? We don't want to be in the spotlight. That also are royal people. They're special, right? sometimes we don't think of ourselves that way we're not royalty we're not special we're not unique in that way there's people out there who are we watch them on tv or we listen or read the news about them that's not us is it in fact one of the most basic teachings throughout the bible is that we should be humble lowly of spirit that we shouldn't look for that sort of fame that we should live quiet lives, working with our hands, that that's not something that Christians need to aspire to because we have something so much better, and it almost seems to fly in the face of Scripture that we would be royal, that God would somehow exalt us and make us important. But that's exactly what God is telling us. You know, When God speaks of royalty, though, There's a caveat, there's a qualifier here. Revelation 1, 5 through 6, it declares, Jesus Christ washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. In other words, we are kings and we are queens Not because we did something to deserve that, but because Jesus made us so. There is a reason why he put us in this position. That's the major theme throughout the New Testament. Ephesians 2 talks about us being raised up and seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. That's what we read earlier. But before that, we're told that God makes something very clear about how we get to this position in verse 6, where God raises us up with Christ. He says, And you, made alive, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we were also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who was rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, you were I was dead in my transgressions. I had nothing that I could offer God. I did not earn my salvation. I did not earn a crown. It was given to me as a free gift. You know, the only thing that I ever did to qualify for God's mercy and his forgiveness was that I acknowledged that I didn't deserve it to begin with. I was smart enough to humble myself before his throne and accept Jesus by belief and, and repenting from sins and confessing that Jesus would be my owner. And by allowing myself to be buried in the waters of baptism, that's the same thing that you did. You know, Christian comedian uh, Brad Steining noted, the only reason I'm a Christian is because it is the only religion that would have me. That is why we are here. He's right. Jesus is the only Savior that would have people like us. But why? Why would God forgive you and me? The Bible tells us, God so loved the world, He loved you and me so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whomsoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And because God loved us and because we accepted Him on His terms, God made us royal. And that is the gift that we can't belittle. We can't uh, say, well, no, we aren't royalty, because that is belittling the grace of God, the gift that God has given us. We also have to recognize it's not because of what we did that we have this gift. So yes, you and I are royalty, but we didn't deserve it. We have no right to boast about it. It's a gift from God. Jesus gave it to us. And the thing about royalty is that it has to separate us from others. Otherwise, what's the point of Royalty, which brings us to Titus chapter two here, in verse eleven, Titus two eleven. There he writes, "For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior." Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What do we think of when we think of that word, peculiar? Odd. Yeah. Different. Stand out. Strange. Eccentric. (laughs) Unique. You're unique. <laughs> you, you're, you're very special. Yeah, I think of bizarre, right? And you think of you know carnivals. <laughs> you find bizarre things there, and that's that's what we think of when we think of this word peculiar. It's not what the word originally meant, though. This came from the Latin peculium, which meant beloved or private property, and not just any private property. This was a treasured possession, peculium something that, that was dear to someone, something that they owned. And so for the English speaking people uh, in the 1600s, when the King James was translated peculiar, it didn't mean something that was just strange or bizarre. You know, Some people, some Christians have taken this to say, I should just be strange and bizarre and that's going to be enough. That's not enough. We have to be the special possession of God. For example, Deuteronomy 14.2, God told Israel, Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. In other words, God was saying that he owned Israel. That Israel was special to him. Not that Israel was bizarre or strange. Israel was important to him. They were his special treasured possession. In fact, they were so special to God that no one could touch them unless God allowed them to be touched. They were under his exclusive protection. That's what God declared Psalm 135.4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Now, What's intriguing is that God says this applies to us as well. This is what God, the gift that God has offered us. Ye are a chosen generation in 1 Peter 2 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are peculiar, we are special to God, and because of that. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And you notice in in First Peter 2 there, there it says we're a a holy nation, right? What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? Set Set apart. Yeah, it's simple. It's not a deep theological term here. You don't need a college degree to understand it. It means something very simple, separate or set apart. You know, a person Garrett, in the sound booth, he is holy. He's set apart from the rest of us. When Mike's up singing songs, uh, leading singing on the stage, he's set apart from the rest of us. I'm set apart from us right now. That is holy. And in Scripture, the word means you're set apart by God. You and I have been set aside from the rest of the world to be God's treasured possession. And that makes us peculiar. Peculiar in our, our present-day language, it means something that's different, something that's not normal. And in a sense, we are not normal. We're not to be normal. We're not like everybody else. God has set us apart to be different than the rest. God has made us holy. But the Bible also says we're to make ourselves holy as well. First Peter 1, just as he who's called you was holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. God calls you and I to be different, to be set apart, to be peculiar. He calls us to be uh, different from the rest of the world. Notice what uh, continues to say in Titus 2.12, God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And why should we do that? Well, because he gave himself for us, in verse 14 of Titus 2, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. God gave himself so we would be different. God gave himself, so we would be peculiar. Now, can it be a a bad thing to be different? Mm -hmm. Can be misunderstood to be different? Talked about a whole month about on the playground. On the playground, you didn't want to be different, did you? People thought that was... Strange. You wanted to fit in with the rest of the group. We can see, you know, being different that invites ridicule. Many people shy away from being different in life because they learned that lesson all too well on the playground. And sometimes maybe it's not beneficial to be different. It's not a matter of whether we want to be unique or special. That's not our goal here. We are peculiar because we are the treasured possession of God. We're not just bizarre for no reason. We follow God no matter what. And if that makes us strange from other people, then so be it. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And to be those things, sometimes it requires us to be a little different. But that's not our, our guideline. how we act. It's not just because it's different from other people. It's because it's what God demands from us. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and we will walk in that light even if the rest of the world thinks it's strange. And so God says, because I've given you this great honor, because I have made you royal, you are to live holy lives. You need to live differently than the world around you. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Paul tells Timothy. "...that there will be people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them," in 2 Timothy 3, 2-5. "...have nothing to do with them." Why? Well, because we're called to live differently than that. We are called to live holy lives. In fact, Peter writes that we should live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. In First Peter 2.12. Now, why should we live lives like that? Why should we live holy lives? Why does God want us to be different when it would be so much easier for his people? We just kept our heads down and went with the crowd. That's good enough for me. Our job here is to glorify God, period. That's why God has put us here. And you remember that Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works. And what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. We live holy lives, not because we're nice people, not because God wants us to be just more moral people, not because we're better than anyone else. No, we live holy lives because we want to glorify God, and God wants us to glorify him. Our righteous deeds aren't done because we are more righteous than the people not within these walls tonight, but because the God we serve is better than anything else this world can offer, and we love him so much that we want others to love him too, and we've been given this gift of royalty that we couldn't possibly earn for ourselves, and we want others to have that tremendous gift as well. It would be as if, you know, after church today, we go home and we find a, a package on our, on our porch and it's something of great value. We always wanted it, but it's so expensive. There's no way we could have bought it for ourselves. But now it belongs to us. It's on our porch. It's for ours to take in, not because we earned it, not because we purchased it or deserved it in any way. We have it. Because it was given to us. And God, He didn't give us this exalted position, this this royal lineage, so that we could stand around um, and and preen our feathers, so that we could look down on others and think highly of ourselves. We have been set aside as a working royalty. Ephesians 2.10 explicitly says, we are God's workmanship. This is in that section talking about our royalty, right? We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are a working royalty. You know, today when we think of royalty, we think of someone who gets their face on a stamp, but that's about it. We don't have many kings and queens who are actually doing much work. That's not who God has called us to be, though. We have responsibilities. We're to serve others. You know, a Sunday school teacher teaching her uh, children the benefits of unselfishness, and she concluded by saying, the reason you're in this world children is to help others. And after a, a moment's silence, a, a little girl piped up, well, then what are the others for? <laughs> God tells us the others are here for us to help. They're here for us to serve. We're royalty, but we're here to serve others. Jesus said, Matthew twenty twenty-five. you know that the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we are servants just like Jesus was a servant. Philippians 2 tells us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who by being very nature God did not consider equality with God "...something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." You know Jesus humbled himself so he could be our savior and we become royalty when we understand that news. You know he set aside his godhood so our lives could be changed and he set us an example of how true royalty should conduct themselves. Jesus our king was exalted because he made himself a servant. And likewise, God will exalt us when we serve one another in humility. That's the kind of kings and queens we have been called to be. Now, let's reiterate, we are royalty only because Jesus made us kings and queens and priests in his royal church. Our status has not been earned, it's been given to us as a gift. Our crowns, we could say, belong to him. And that's what the first song we led tonight, and the text was from Revelation 4, and that's when we see uh, the 24 elders, right? They have their crowns, and they lay them down at the feet of the throne of God. The 24 elders in Revelation 4.10, somewhat mysterious scene in heaven. 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne, And say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. They laid their crowns before the throne. Why did they do that? They did that because the crowns, they didn't belong to them. They had them. They were given that uh, prestige. They were given that exaltation, but they only had the crowns because they received them from Jesus, and they knew truly all of the glory and honor and power belong to him. We've received a crown from Jesus, and one day we will have the opportunity to lay it down at the throne of God and spend eternity with him, because he deserves all the glory and honor and power. But that crown, it's offered to us at a price, and it's a price that we could not pay. Jesus came to earth to die a cruel death so that we could be invited into his kingdom. And it's up to us to accept that invitation. That's why we offer this time the end of each of our services, so that we can not only pick up our crown and follow Christ, but we can pick up our cross and follow him, and that we can serve and glorify our Father and spend eternity with him. So if you're ready to do that this evening, now's the time to come to the front of the room as we stand and as we sing.